Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I'm on with a very special guest, Dr. Natasha Beck, who is a parenting expert and founder of Dr. Organic Mommy, which is an online resource focused on pregnancy, parenting, and non-toxic living. With over 56,000 loyal and engaged followers who look to her for real-world advice on raising children, Natasha is known as Dr. Organic Mommy. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology, specializing in pediatric neuropsychology, and a master's in public health, specializing in child and family health. She is also certified in leadership education in neurodevelopmental disabilities from Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Dr. Beck, it is such an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Before I dive into all of the questions I want to know about Dr. Organic Mommy, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself, anything you'd like to share, family, careers, hobbies, and then we'll go into your inspiration with Dr. Organic Mommy. Sure. So I'm a Los Angeles native, born and raised married to my high school sweetheart, and we have three children, one on the way and two dogs as well. I kind of started noticing the impact of diet and the environment when I was testing children over at USC County Medical Center. So I started inputting that and taking that into consideration when I would write up my reports and my recommendations. And then as I went along my journey and began to have my own family, I started really taking in more information about all of the environmental toxins that really can be harmful and can impact all of us. Oh, wow. Prior to you being on this journey of being non-toxic in all aspects of your life and eating healthy, what was your diet like before? Like, were you like Taco Bell McDonald's or did you uh-huh. think, oh no, I'm, I'm eating healthy because, you know, I'm not eating fast food, but yet you weren't as conscious about what you're putting into your belly. So I was definitely a fast food queen. I was one who ate Taco Bell all the time. I considered Subway my healthy meal of the week. And that's all right. You know, and everybody's at a different starting point in their journey. And it doesn't mean that you can't get there. You know, people I think are always surprised when they hear that I used to love candy and I was a sugar fiend, you know, so they, I think they're always shocked by that. But once I noticed, you know, the impact, not just on eating healthy, but, you know, an organic diet and whatnot, especially on myself, because I do have ADHD and mm-hmm. dyslexia currently known as reading disorder. I noticed the impact of my, on my symptoms and how it really helped when I removed those refined sugars, when I removed those artificial dyes and preservatives, it really did help. Mm-hmm. So how long then would you say you've been on this journey? Cause it really is a journey, right? You know, to really get to where you are. And I know that because my husband and I have made our own strides with certain things. So yeah. How long has this journey been for you? 
a little over a decade. And was it something that you immediately jumped into? Like once you saw, you're like, yep, okay, let me clear out the fridge. Or did you still say, okay, no, I'm, I'm having obviously the cravings for the sugar. I'm having the cravings for these things. Baby steps all the way. You know, some people can go cold turkey and, you know, kudos to you. For me, it was a little bit harder. And so I just did baby steps, like a little bit at a time. You know, I would do like one plant-based meal a week. I would say like, all right, I'm not eating candy this week, but on the weekend I'd indulge and I would get my body used to it. Now I don't eat any candy and I don't have any, like barely any refined sugars in my diet. It's a really once in a while thing, but I don't have a taste for it anymore. It's not present and it's not, it's not a craving that I have. You almost like purged your body of it, right? It left. I guess I should ask when you do have it every so often, do you feel the effect? Oh, yes, I do. I do. I really don't feel that great afterwards. And I feel it even more. And I'm like, wow, I think I'm also more aware of, you know, when you're just eating it consistently. And the problem is that companies often market these products to kids. I was very much one of those kids in the 80s where, you know, everything was like fat free. And but you added so much sugar to everything that you were just loaded up on it. And sugar is a drug. You become addicted to it. Sure. Not only that, and then all of the processed foods that came with it that our parents thought that they're doing okay because they're thinking it's okay. And then looking back, it's like, no, with so much sodium and just what preservatives that now, you know, how many decades later we, we know, or maybe we knew even back then, but the mass of people and with accounts like yourself having these conversations, letting people know, because I still believe some people don't know or don't. I think a lot of people don't know, but we're seeing the impact now with the amount and the, the huge increase in autoimmune disease and obesity, especially in our children, you know, yeah. type diabetes. I mean, that didn't exist in kids before. And now it's really, really prevalent. For sure. So tell me, what is the importance of a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle? And I say diet, meaning the diet that we eat, not a diet, like a fad diet. So important, especially with young children. Yes, you said as an adult, you saw you know, with your ADHD and how you had to make certain changes and the impact that had. But talk to me a little bit about some of those things, especially for moms listening that can trigger young children with the high sugars, with the preservatives and the candy and and all the real junk food out there. So I'm going to give you an interesting stat that was done. There was a study in 2010 that looked at kids diet from 12 to 24 months. It's one to two year olds, 9% of their total daily intake was from refined sugar, sugar. And people don't realize that there's sugars and everything. And the American Academy of Pediatrics says, do not exceed, do not have any sugar actually under the age of two. So then what are the things that parents are seeing that are in refined sugar that they don't realize that it's like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't be giving this. So sugar can be everywhere. The problem is there used to be two kinds of sugar. Now there's hundreds of different kinds of sugars. Mm. There used to be just your cane sugar and your, you know, your sugar beets. And now it's high fructose corn syrup. There's like grape concentrate, fruit concentrate, apple concentrate, and it's everywhere. It's in your ketchup. It's in your salad dressing. It's in your yogurt. It's in all of those fruit juice boxes. It's in every processed bag. And now luckily the nutrition bags, at least in the States, will now have on the label added sugar. So you can see mm-hmm. if there's added sugar because there's a difference between sugar being present from a fruit versus added sugar. And they, were, they are adding sugar to a lot of these items because the taste is off. And when they get your kids addicted to sugar early on, they can't go back a lot easier, you know, to eat all of these fun items as you become an adult. 
Sure, for sure. Okay, so go into then now, what are some of the factors from having a highly processed, very high level of sugar intake in your diet? Sure, even not even a high level, but I mean, more than like the the six teaspoons of sugar that you're supposed to have a day as a kid, no more than six teaspoons. It can affect your sleep. If you think your kid's having a problem with sleep and trust me, at least from my followers, there's a lot of kids who are having trouble with sleep. It can make you more irritable. It can make you not pay attention as much. It makes you struggle in school. If you're not feeling great and you're not aware and self-aware to be able to express that, let alone I wasn't able to as an adult, a child's not going to be able to. And so they, they don't feel great. And so it, it causes them to like, just act out and they're not doing it on purpose. Kids aren't inherently bad. And so I don't think parents realize that, all right, my kid's not falling asleep and they're like running off the walls. Well, what did they eat? Why can't they sleep? Why are they waking up? Why aren't they having at least two bowel movements a day? You know, yeah. I've got parents telling me, oh, I'm lucky if I get one, I, they skip usually a day or two. Yeah. That's not healthy. Mm, those are all such great points. And, you know, it's true. I think we put so much pressure on kids to, to be a certain way, but to your point, they're not inherently bad. And as a parent, like I'll recognize when, when my son is cranky, right. And I'm like, okay, either he didn't eat or he didn't sleep, you know, or he's due for, for bedtime. But if it's a constant notion of something or not being able to pay attention, yeah, I would imagine that the diet affects all of that, which is so sad because you think of all these food deserts around the country of people in that don't have access to some of these things, even on a minimal level. So not that they kind of have no choice, but they do because that's just all that's there. They don't have a choice. Many places where, you know, you don't even have a great grocery store. You've got a liquor mart and that's about it. Um, So there's so many barriers to access, you know, and so that's, it's, it's a problem. Sure. It's just the reality of it. What are ways that moms can start building healthier eating habits and non-toxic living for their families? Basically, what are some small shifts to larger changes? I'll give you an example. I mean, I credit my husband because my husband has read a lot of these things early on. I prided myself on certain things and I know we could do much better with our son, but like, for examples, we don't give him sugar, like Go-Gurts or like flavored yogurt. We give him, you know, plain, plain yogurt. And then we might add a little bit of like a berry preserve in there or some fruit. He's had that since a baby. So he doesn't know any better when he goes to my mom's house, which I know I've seen some of your videos on Instagram of balancing. And I think that's our biggest issue is when he goes to grandma and grandpa's house, But thankfully, when he comes home, then there's no problem, right? The transition is easy. He knows he has his plain yogurt with a little berry preserve. So those are some things we do. What are some other ways? And that's just an example, right? And I'll tell my friends and they're like, oh, I never thought of that because we just buy them raspberry yogurt. I'm like, look at the difference between plain yogurt and the flavored yogurt and see. And they're like, oh, wow. I'm like small changes like that. So that's an example of what I'm referring to. Definitely. And that's a great example because all that sugar does add up and typically kids Mm -hmm get their max sugar level. And I'm talking kids that are two and up just by the time they're done with breakfast. So let's say the first thing I tell parents, always read your labels. I know not everybody thinks going to the grocery store is fun. I love going to the grocery store. That's like my happy place where I can zone out. Obviously, if you're going to have all your kids with you, it's a lot harder, but always check your labels. That's something I teach kids themselves when I teach, you know, classes to kids, you know, to fourth graders, fifth graders, check your labels and teach your parents too. You know, what are you eating? Do you know all those ingredients? Do you know what's there? Look at the added sugar. So that's number one. Number two, when you are going to eat something with sugar, whether it's fruit, you know, 
always pair it with some kind of protein or fat. So you don't get that insulin spike when you're going to, you know, say you want to have juice. I always say, stay away from juice, Mm -hmm. all juice. If you're going to have juice, fresh squeezed is better, but again, you're going to get that big insulin spike. And the reason I don't like just juice, even a fresh squeeze is because you don't have the fiber that comes with a piece of fruit. I'd rather you have that whole piece of fruit. And a lot of parents tell me they're scared of fruit. Oh, my kid only loves fruit. Fruit is great. Just pair it with, you know, put some hummus on the side with cucumbers or, you know, some Mm -hmm. olives and slice them up. If they're a choking hazard for kids under four, put some almond butter or, Mm -hmm. you know, with your strawberries, you can sprinkle some like shredded coconut for that Mm -hmm. extra fat. I dip blackberries in almond butter and I, I think they're like delicious. And my kids love doing that. So there's different ways that you can continue to enjoy those things, but just be mindful of like the amount of sugar you're getting. The other things I always like to say, when you're giving your kid a snack, grab a piece of fruit, grab a veggie and some kind of fat and protein. Mm-hmm. Those are your groups. Don't go for the muffins or the crackers. <laughs> That's just sugar. And people yeah. don't realize it is sugar, you know? And mm-hmm. even the ones that you're making, yes, those are better, but then you start it's to teach kids like, oh, I'm only eating the brown foods. Like the brown foods are the yummy foods. I want the crackers and the bread and the muffins, even if you're hiding the veggies in them. You know, I don't, it, and it's great to put veggies in muffin. I do that, but tell your kids about it. First of all, don't hide things and be mindful of how often you use those. You know, you want to get your kids used to like, all right, I've got guacamole and some peppers and a piece of fruit, whatever's, you know, in season, preferably. And there's your snack. And if they don't want to eat it, great. And serve them a small portion too. That's the other thing I tell parents. The size of their fist or their palm, sorry, not their fist, their palm. No more than that. If they want more, great. Let them ask for seconds, thirds, you know. Mm. But when you often present them with too much, they can get overwhelmed. Um, So just be mindful of that. There's a lot of psychology behind the patient. I will ask, since following your page, you don't cook with a lot of grains, do you? Not even quinoas. I don't think I see that a lot. Or maybe a lot of times, you know what? I think what it is, I'll see like your snack plates for your kids. And I'm, I'm assuming that's big because parents are always like, what can I give as a snack, right? Because kids all day are, are like, I want a snack. I want a snack. My son will eat dinner and he'll have a good portion. He's like, can I have a snack? And I'm like, okay. And that's when we'll tell him you could have a fruit and we go through that whole conversation. But do you cook with grains? I do cook with grains. Oh, I just okay. don't present them all the time with snack. What I do, I, 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 I like to get like grains that are, you know, more nutrient dense grains. So like your quinoa is great. It's a great example. You know, your farro, if you're not gluten-free, teff, buckwheat, those are mm. gluten-free flours. But yes, for the morning, I always have some kind of grain, but with a protein. It's common breakfast that we'll do, we'll do an oatmeal that's like a steel cut oat and I'll cook that down with some Ceylon cinnamon and I grate in the zucchini and the carrots. Oh, nice. And they don't taste it. And I know it's in there. Carrots add that flavor of like that touch of sweetness. Mm-hmm. And it's, you've got the carrots actually in there. So there's that nice fiber. And then the zucchini are very bland. You don't even taste it, but then you're just getting extra nutrients. And then you load it with the fun toppings, whether it's like chia seeds, hemp hearts, and you can do stewed apples or stewed peaches and just cook those down. It's really simple. You just have to like slice a bit of an apple, cut it up and put it in a splash of water in your, on your pot, maybe even a little cinnamon, but you don't even have to. But when you cook it down, those sugars break down toss that on top of your oatmeal and it's so delicious. 
that sounds delicious even for me because I'm not a big fan of oatmeal, but I've thought of ways, again, I'm like trying to think outside the box that I would enjoy it. That sounds delicious. Adding frozen wild blueberries to your oatmeal turns the milk purple. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. No, I know. Well, there's little things because with children, you have to be resourceful and you have to think outside the box. Was it a transition or did you have one child that maybe was more willing and then another child that was unwilling? Because I remember from our webinar that we did that you said, don't use the word picky. So I'm not using the word picky. Cautious Um, or adventurous. Yes. How was that like? So I do have one child who's definitely more cautious. My other two are more adventurous. Who knows what the fourth will be? Uh, But my first one who is more cautious, there's a bunch of things you can do. I have like a whole guide of like my top 10 things to help get your kids to enjoy healthy eating. But a lot of things, it comes down to modeling and what's there and not putting pressure on your kid. Mm-hmm. I think the parents, it's, it's hard, you know, you feel like, oh, you go through and you make this elaborate meal and you have these high expectations and you're like, <laughs> you want them to eat it. And then they don't. And you're like, what happened? Like this, stinks. <laughs> I like slaved away at this. And this was like so exhausting. And then they don't even touch it. I think there's that pressure you put on yourself and you put on your child. So mm-hmm. I always use this quote from the Ellen Sattler Institute. She says to you always, as the parent decide when and what your child eats, the child decides if and how much. And if you just go in with that notion of like, all right, well, I'm not sure if my kid's going to eat. If they don't eat this meal, great. I'm going to have it. I'm going to have leftovers for the next day and we'll try again. So to your point, so let's say an example, if my son was like, no, I don't want it. I made like a green curry rice with chicken and I, I tasted the rice and I'm like, oh, it was my first time making it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how he's going to do with it. My husband might be more inclined to be like, well, if you don't eat this, then you can't do X, Y, Z, right? Because I'm sure moms would be listening to this like, yes, because that's, that's a battle that we have in the home. And a part of me is like, okay, I get what he's saying, but I've followed enough Instagram accounts to know that there's other ways, but how to handle that? Because in essence, he would go to bed hungry because then he'll say, well, I want a snack. So tell me how to handle that situation. Great question. So first thing, when you have your green curry with chicken, I also always serve fruit with every meal. I don't save it for the end. I don't save it like it's a mystery or there's the treat or the dessert. Now that's not to mean I serve as much fruit as they want. I serve a portion of fruit. And once that portion is done, that's it. So like, oh, I, you know, you serve some, say some, you've got some nectarines and he finishes his small portion that he gets. Oh, I, I see you finished all the nectarines. Your bowl is all empty. There are lots of different foods to eat to help your body grow. And you have to eat lots of different things to help your body grow. So we're going to refrain from telling him, well, if you don't eat this, we can't do this. So we're going to refrain from doing that. And if he says, no, no, I only want the fruit. I'm like, well, we're only going to sit here and continue eating dinner together. I'm going to enjoy my food. So you're going to model that you're eating it. Now, something I do teach my kids is that your taste buds change a lot. And there's these little things all over your tongue. They're called taste buds. Now you may like something today and you may not like it tomorrow. And then you may like it again the next day and you never know. So my rule in our house is we try something and if you don't like it, no problem. But I think you need to preface it with telling a child that, no, you just have to try it. You just have to try it as opposed to saying, oh, we always try things. You may not like it and that's all right and you may like it. You never know. Mm-hmm. And so the difference, you see the difference between the tone right. of those two things, the child is more willing to try that. So that's what I did with my son. And trust me, there were a lot of things he would not like. Try, um, yeah. 
So he does try it. And sometimes, yes, they will fight you, but think about why are they fighting you? So if they're not ready yet, oh, you're not ready yet. All right, well, we'll sit here together and keep eating. You let me know when you're ready. I'm going to continue eating my food. Mm -hmm. there. Now let's say they go the whole meal and they say, no, I'm not trying it. Yeah, I get it. But now I, you'll never know if you liked it. And then I try to give an example. Do you remember, you know, something that they loved that salad or something that was unusual that they liked, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. remember when you tried it and you had no idea that you were going to like it and you ended up liking it. You never know. And you never know if you try it again, you might not like it. There's no way to know. And so I'd sit there and talk about it more. And then I'd remind them, remember the kitchen is closing soon. Once the kitchen closes, there's no more food until breakfast time. So that may seem harsh to some parents. And it depends, obviously, if there's a medical condition of your child's like needing to gain weight, that's a different scenario. But most children are not going to starve and they're aware, you know, they may not be hungry. They may even skip a night yeah. or they may just say like, no, I want a banana later on or a piece of toast. And I know I can get that from mom and dad afterwards. Correct. And that's where it comes, you know, where cycle. Exactly. I, I do remember also something that you had said in the webinar, which was for parents to have grace in looking that not necessarily day to day, but I remember you saying to look at over a two week span to really gauge the levels, meaning like if there's a bad night or there's a night that, you know, just they weren't willing to try, we try the next night, but again, to look at it over a two week span. I remember that. Yeah. Always look at a two week period. If there's something they're really not eating over two weeks and you do want to take them to your doctor because something else is going on. For sure. What are, and I know you have your website and there's so many resources, which we will link on the show notes, which I've used myself, but just name some like really of your favorite brands, easy recipes. And then I will say when you do snack, because I have seen like you like Scout, like there are some companies, when do you give a snack? When do you allow quote unquote the juice and all of that, if, if so. When we do fresh squeezed juice, I always add water or sparkling water to it to make it like a juice soda. So at least, you know, you're diluting it. Always pair that. I, you know, I don't just let them drink it on an empty stomach. They, they're pairing it with the snack. And I explain to them why. I think that's part of that. what's going on that's missing is that yeah. we're not explaining to our kids why they need to eat things with, you know, certain, you know, like my kids know about fat, protein, you know, those are words that are ingrained in them. And, you know, some children may not understand the full depth and full meaning of it, but they can start to identify, oh, that's avocado. That's a healthy fat. Great. I know I have a little avocado with my orange juice soda, you know, that's sparkling water and fresh squeezed orange juice. So that way you're not giving them 20 grams of sugar and like a, you know, 12 ounces of juice. So that's one thing. As far as the package snacks, I do have a lot of brands that I think there's more and more luckily coming out with the have great options because you just realistically you need things on the go. Like when I keep scout bars in my purse. So if I forget snack plates when I go to pick my kids, I'm like, oh, at least I got my scout bars. And the scout organic bars are great because they've got no refined sugars. They use dates to sweeten them. And they've got protein in them because they use sunflowers. So they're nut free. And so it's just, just a great option. And so I'm like, oh, I don't know what else to th throw in this lunchbox. Oh, I'll throw a scout bar in. So that's an easy thing. Seaweed from Sea Snacks. I love Sea Snacks. It's spelled S-N-A-X because they use organic olive oil. A lot of sea snacks or seaweed I use is a sunflower or canola oil. So just pay attention to your labels. But even so seaweed is even with those oils that are canola, or, you know, sunflower vegetable, which are more inflammatory oils. I would say that's even better though than chips. So it's just a trade-off. So if you're getting your seaweed in, that's great because you're expanding your child's 
palate, you're getting a good source of iodine, which most people are missing now mm -hmm. because you're not using table salt anymore. So, you know, that's a great option to, you know, have that one or two times a week. Other things, I have a whole pantry list where I went through my entire pantry and I separated out by category and even provided links of where you can get them yes. as well as discount codes, all, all of that on there. And I'll link it here, but no, that's good that you, that you mentioned some of those, because I mean, again, to your point, let's be realistic. It just is what it is. And yes, there are some other ones. I've got pregnancy yes. right here. No, oh you're God. good. Just losing it. <laughs> no, Brain you're fine. When you're pregnant. Do you, are you a fan of Thrive Market? Do you use Thrive Market? I don't love you? Thrive Market. I use Thrive Market starting like what? seven years ago when they oh, first wow. started before. Like, I didn't know um, they've been around. It was six years ago. They are an amazing company. And tell me why really, because I was trying to sell a friend on it because we, I do love it. And I'm like, I love it. I love the convenience. I love that they do have some healthier things, but to her point, she's like, Whole Foods has some of it. So tell me about Thrive, why that's a great company to purchase from. Cause I, I do, I purchase, I enjoy, but I didn't have an, I didn't have a reason for them. Like, oh yeah, Whole Foods does have some of these items. So Nick Green, the CEO, he's an amazing guy and he's so health conscious and he's so aware and trying to help provide mm. healthy food to people who don't have access. So that was actually what Thrive's Market mission was before it became so popular, was to make sure that people who were living in certain places like an hour away from like a grocery store could get access to organic foods. And the thing about the difference between Whole Foods and Thrive, so let's say they cut out the middleman. So they actually are able to get it to you cheaper. And now they even have their own line of things because they were able to source it because they've become partners with a lot of these, you know, local farmers and industries and different companies and stuff where they, they source things straight, not companies, sorry, producers like from the farmers and to get it straight. And so it becomes much cheaper. And so they have so many products and now they've even expanded their line even more so that you've got like, you can get your laundry detergent from there and you can get so many other products, not just like your pantry products. They, you know, even have pasture raised meats that are frozen and come frozen. So they've got a lot there and it comes right to your door. Like how much easier can you get? And then for every membership that comes, like if you join, they give a membership to a teacher, a healthcare provider. Don't quote me on that. I think it's to someone. No, I think so. And to someone in need. To the military people in need and stuff. So mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. And they're trying to be, they're so super more getting more sustainable with their packaging, which I love. And it just yeah. overall great company. I couldn't endorse it more. <laughs> and that's awesome. But I was like, oh, but to your point, I, I didn't know that, that they do cut out the middleman. And I did recognize that they are coming out with things that are more of their brand. Actually, I tried their sauce for the first time because I was always using Rayos. I, I try and make my sauce, but if I don't have the yeah, time. Yeah, I've got my sauce. Um, yeah. But then I tried the Thrive and I'm like, oh, this was really good. They have added sugar, which is great. Rayos actually has added sugar. And so oh, they do. Oh, I didn't know that. And it's not organic. So when you're certain things you want to have organic, and obviously not everybody can get everything organic, but that's where you look um, at the environmental working group known as the EWG, EWG.org. And they've got their clean 15 and their dirty dozen list. So your dirty dozen is like, all right, if I you know, can't get everything organic, what should I buy organic? Because that mm -hmm. means those things that they've tested, those produce items like strawberries and kale, they hold on to the pesticides more, but like your avocados and your citrus don't hold on to that. They've got that thicker skin. They've got that protection. So don't, you don't need to buy those organic if you can't afford to do that. 
Sure. Yeah, I've heard of Dirty Dirty Dozen. And funny enough, I've never actually been on the EWG website. It's just things that I've heard. But I'm like in my mind talking to you and I'm like, how come I've never looked? And as I'm shopping to make sure that these particular items, like I know the ones like the strawberries and certain things because I know it absorbs and, and stuff like that. But that's a really good point because if you can't afford to buy everything organic, to your point, at least focus on the ones that you know, if especially you're eating this in your household, that you should buy organic. Now that said, I will preface it by saying, if you don't have the budget to buy organic, that doesn't mean don't buy strawberries. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. I'd rather you buy strawberries that are conventional instead of like a packaged processed food. Always start with fruits and vegetables, organic or not. Sure. And there's, you can clean your vegetables, right? You can clean your fruit to try to alleviate. I'm I'm sure, you know, once it's in, it's in, but to your point, you know, to help get rid of it, some of it, you know, apple cider vinegar, you know, they know splash of that in there with your, your, your fruits. Yes. It helps. Now, do you eat meat or no? I used to not eat meat. I was vegan for two of my pregnancies, but I haven't eaten poultry for seven years. That started with an aversion from my first pregnancy. And then I went and took a deep dive into the vegan plant-based world. I now eat meat. My youngest daughter is basically allergic to a lot of things on a vegan diet. And so now I've incorporated more and I've- I was gonna say, so then you had to pivot. And I had see. to pivot and now I'm like learning more about beet meat. So getting, you know, regenerative meat and pasture-raised meat and learning that grass-fed doesn't always mean that they get to grass finish it and that they don't get grass all year round. So you have to just dig a little bit deeper. And so- you know, we don't eat meat all the time still because it's still not great for you. Some meat is definitely, you know, fine. And you have to, I think you just have to pay attention to your body. You know, so I paid attention to my body when I was pregnant and meat just was not happy with my body when I was pregnant uh, Mm -hmm. with my second one who um, happens to love meat, oddly enough. (laughs) She loves, she loves a vegan diet too. And Um, she's not allergic to that, but yeah, it's just funny how that turns out. You know, and that's what you want to teach your kids is to pay attention to their body and how they feel you know, because a vegan diet might be great for some people and it might not work for others. That is so true. There are common things that you want to avoid, like your refined sugars, your inflammatory oils, which is like your vegetable, your canola, safflower oils. You know, you want to avoid dairy too much. Dairy is inflammatory. No, you can have some, but just be mindful of how much dairy you're consuming. Sure. Now, before we get into, I know the different parenting methods, and I know there's a lot to cover with that. And actually, when I was on your website, I saw some of the different methods and I was very intrigued by them. Talk to me a little bit about the non-toxic and how that was. Was your husband always on board with this? I know he's your high school sweetheart, but that doesn't mean that he agreed with this or that he was on board with it. And what has that been like of being like non-toxic? I follow your page and I love all the things that you you post and that you're actually living what you're what you believe should be, right? So tell me a little bit, if you can, just some sure. things with non-toxic and what are some staples if people can't afford to go all you know, bamboo, maybe with fabric or can't do all glass and they have to do some plastic. What are some, maybe some top things that you'd be like, look, if out of anything, try to eliminate this. Okay. So I'm going to go back first question. Cause I think that is a common question. Like how do you get your spouse on board? So for my husband, there were some things that he was against before even I was, which was plastic. I would definitely microwave plastic back in the day. And I would get those frozen meals from Trader Joe's and like my, my girlfriend and I were like, yeah, that's easy. You know, it's 200 calories. It's totally fine. We thought we were being healthy. You know, we're like, okay, no more Taco Bell. We're eating these, but you know, 
little did we know how terrible that was for us. There you go. So limit, limit those things. Don't microwave plastic. Don't ever heat up plastic. So he was very much on board with that. The eating, it was harder. I would say he definitely mm-hmm. has a broad palate and loves to eat and loves food. And so do I, but I'm just a more conscientious for that. He loves how how well our kids eat. So I think he appreciates it. And I think that's like, if you see, if you start to have a part of problem with your partner, if they see like how amazing it is that your kid will eat a salad, like that's kind of cool. Like they're not ordering off the kid's menu. You know, not everybody appreciates that, of course. So I think explaining to them, like, you know, this is where I'm coming from. I'm not being kooky. There is, there's data out there. The American Academy of Pediatrics even talks about the amount of sugar and like making sure not to give that to kids, the impact that it has. There's plenty of research out there now. So doing like a quick, you know, search on Google Scholar, you'll be able to pull up some articles easily. With the other stuff with the non-toxic, you know, we, we research it together. We're both on the board of EWG. And so once he learned more about that non-toxic world, it was a lot easier. And he wanted to support, you know, EWG as well, you know, me too. And I love how much they're spreading the word and they have all these databases, not just for organic food, but it'll feel like you're like, huh, I'm not sure if this beauty product is great. They've got the EWG skin database and you can type in that product and be like, oh, is that safe or not? They've got a database for all your cleaning products. So they, you know, they have a database for, you know, the water in your area that you can look into. And if you type in your zip code, they'll let you know, all right, here are the different water filtrations. Here's the least expensive option, but this is what it will do. Here's, you know, more expensive option. And they give you a lot of ideas. Yeah. And resources. Okay. So then also just a little bit of what are some things that people should main things, should they look into maybe changing their water? Like, let's say if someone's like, look, I have a budget right now, what would be maybe top three things? Is it getting rid of my cooking ware? Like what are some, my sheets, my clothes that people should really spend their money on as far as going non-toxic? Okay. My top I'm going to do top three. My top ones, definitely Teflon, any non-stick, not even just Teflon because they've gotten rid of a lot of Teflon, but any of those non-stick pans, any, in any, and don't get easily, you know, convinced that like, oh, it's a green pan. Some of those copper pans, no, you know, that are non-stick. Those don't work. Anytime a pan says that they're non-stick, avoid (laughs) that. There is no such thing as non-stick. And why I'm so passionate about avoiding non-stick things is because They've got something called, a, it's a derivative of PFOS, which is a forever chemical that is a man-made chemical that will never leave your body once it's in. So you don't want it to keep accumulating because it's correlated with a number of things that it, and, and even has, uh, that they're coming out with more and more research now. And that's why they're getting rid of so many, so much of it, but, you know, and getting rid of Teflon, but the Teflon is, you know, PFOS, but there's a thousand different types of derivatives of PFOS. So yeah. may, we might say, oh, it's PFOA free, you know, but it might have PFOB. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, uh, it's the same thing that happened with plastic when they're like, oh, it's BPA free. Well, then they replaced it with BPS and BPF. And so which they're even uh, more uh, harmful, if not equally harmful. That's why, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a statement in 2012. And then again, in 2018, saying, avoid plastic when possible, especially with children. If you do have plastic, do not put it in the dishwasher. So if you can't get rid of your plastic and you can't get glass, just wash it by hand. Because uh, when you're putting the dishwasher, the dishwasher heats it up. And so you're breaking down the component, the BEPA, the BPS, the BPF of those chemicals that are endocrine disruptors. And then they break down and they leach into your food. Oh, nice. Okay. So those, you know, bisphenols 
are what I mean by endocrine disruptors, they actually impact your reproductive system, your fertility, which is why we're seeing such increased rates of fertility difficulty, not only in men, but we're going to start to see it soon in women as well. And that's why sperm counts are down and sperm motility is down. So you're going to start to see more and more of that and the impact of it, but those are easy to change. You can switch that out and you can get rid of those microplastics. A lot of problems found in a lot of things, unfortunately, that end up in your body, but that's something that you can actually process out the, the forever chemicals you can. So going back to my point, number one, cook, wear, get rid of anything non-toxic. And if you can't do it all, start with one piece and go from there. If you can't, you know, my favorite is the field company pan. It's a great cast iron pan, but it's expensive. If you can't get to that nice one, start with lodge. It's a $40 pan. It's seasoned with soybean oil. So I'm not crazy about that, but you can reseason it. And it takes Mm -hmm. an hour, not of your time, but like five minutes of your time and an hour in the oven upside down after you scrub it down with soap and water Mm -hmm. Um, and then reseason it with a better oil, like avocado oil or ghee, whatever, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. you're using and turn it upside down and in the oven at 500 degrees for an hour. So those are an easy switch. Next thing I would do air filtration. So some kind of air filter. My favorites are the IQ air and the Austin air. And if air doctors also, I know people are going to ask me about air doctor. I'm not affiliated with any of these things. All the proceeds from my page go to charity. So I don't mind talking about companies. IQ air, I think is the best. I have that. I have the air doctor as well. And I've tried it out. The air doctor, I think is great for if you can't afford uh, the IQ air, which is about twice the price Mm. than the air doctor but the air doctor filters cost a lot more over time because they have to be replaced more often. So you just okay. have to figure out what you can afford sure. at the time or save up for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, third thing would be water. So getting a water filtration system, anything, like if you can't, at least, at least some kind of pitcher that has a carbon filter that at least takes out some chlorine. You can get an activated carbon filter, at least it takes chloramine and chlorine out of it. Ideal is like a reverse osmosis. It does waste some water. So some people are, you know, more mindful of that. There's a countertop one called Aquatru. It's the same company as the Air Doctor, but people are like, oh, about the waste of the water. I take the water and I just put it on the grass or outside. The reason why that's helpful, reverse osmosis, is it actually can filter out it's the only filtration system that consistently can filter out PFOS, uh, their derivatives. So that's one thing. And if you can't do that, you know, glass bottled water, like they have companies now that they, the old school, like sparklets, but they have them in glass mm-hmm. bottles, with the big jugs. And don't freak out if you haven't done it. I just a year ago did my house and did a whole water filtration system and I didn't have it before, you know, yeah. I just didn't do it before. And it uh, took me a while to research and figure out which one I wanted to do. And so it's just baby steps. For sure. I love it. Thank you. Okay. So now high level, tell me a little bit about the different parenting methods that you incorporate with your children. I know there's the RIE method, there's the Pickler approach, the Waldorf and Montessori education and cognitive behavior and play therapy. And of course, people can look into this a little bit more, you know, now that we're, we're bringing awareness to it, but if maybe you can say a little bit for each one of why it's so important and why you've kind of combined it all. Yeah. So I love aspects from all, all of them, honestly. So I take a little bit of each and I apply 
what I think is helpful to the majority of children with my kids and, and the kids that I interact with. The Rye Approach is developed by Magda Gerber. You probably would hear of Janet, Janet Lansbury, who was a student of hers. So that's more of like a very much a respectful, gentle parenting approach. And I love a lot of aspects of that. Montessori was created by Maria Montessori. And she, I think, believes there's a lot of, you're following the child's lead and you're setting up stations to help them, you know, develop certain skills in a more tactile way, as opposed to just like looking at the board, writing and copying things down. And I think that's the most popular. I mean, everywhere you go, every it's, and I almost feel like it's almost like a fad, like everything is like Montessori, the different preschools. I'm like, oh, that's such a thing. Makes you think it's like the only method or only thing out there, which is why when I saw your page, I'm like, oh, there's so many other things to look into. Yeah. And you always want to make sure if you're looking at schools, just a little side note, see what their credentials are. Because a lot of people can claim they are a Montessori school, but not actually have the credentials or same with Reggio Malio or even a Waldorf. So look at their credentials, see their teachers and what kind of trainings they've had and, you know, et cetera. So Pickler was developed by Dr. Emmy Pickler. She was a pediatrician and she went around and went to people's homes to, you know, check up on her patients. It's similar to Rye. There's aspects of Rye in there. There's aspects of, you know, Montessori in there. Most people would probably hear of the Pickler triangle. You know, you'll see that little ladder triangle that's in the shape mm-hmm. of a triangle, but it's like a ladder. That was, that's called the Pickler triangle for a reason. She came up with that. She really wanted the children to do things on their own. Like if a child can climb up a tree, they can get down. That's very <laughs> Emmy Pickler. Yeah. Waldorf was developed by a philosopher named Rudolf Steiner. It's been around for a hundred years and he changed over the years. Cause obviously he was, he was a little interesting and you know, there's definitely, I know there's been some problems cause like he was, had some racist issues and everything, but luckily people have changed through the years and <laughs> taken those things out and whatnot. But I personally love, and my children attend a Waldorf school and it's very much uses a very much a play base where they look at the child's, you know, imagination and creativity, utilizing things in nature, utilizing natural materials like wood and fabric and felts, and really allowing the child to engage in that play to not only process their feelings, but to start to develop those skills. And more and more now we're seeing that play is the foundation for academia, like to actually be able to be successful in school. You know, and it's unfortunate that we had kind of went backwards a little bit. And now we're we're seeing so many kindergartens with desks and chairs where they have to sit at a desk for hours upon hours, sitting and copying and tracing things down. And those kids are getting referred to people like me and saying like, my kid's got ADD because like my kid can't sit down to the teachers telling me like they're too wiggly. Well, the kids shouldn't be sitting in a chair, you know, at five years old. That's hard. I can't sit in a chair. When I'm in my desk at work, I start getting antsy and I have to stretch. I have to get up. I start looking different things on my computer. How can we put that much pressure on a five-year-old or on elementary school? It's just unrealistic. Homework is hard. Like they're, they're putting homework in me and I'm telling, I mean, I've seen some preschools that even preschools that sent homework home. So it's just, it's just not realistic. And then cognitive behavioral therapy, I think, you know, it looks at your behaviors, your thoughts, your feelings, and you're applying all those things in, in a way that I think is more easily explained with a child. So you want to, like when I, when I look at a tantrum, you know, and I see tantrums as a teaching moment 
for not only the child, but also for the parent, you approach it in a, or at least I do, in a way that utilizes some aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy by first validating their feelings. And then I acknowledge what they wanted to do, no matter if it was correct or not, which is the thought. And then I look at the behavior and then I bring in some Rye and Waldorf in there. And I talk about what I'm trying to accomplish with my child. It's my job to keep you safe. It's my mm-hmm. job to make sure you're growing and it's my job to make sure you're a kind person. And usually 99% of things fall under one of those three phrases. And then we close that off by saying, you know, I love you and make sure the, the loop is closed. Right. So I utilize all of those things. And then uh, the play therapy, play therapy is found in all of that. But I think that taught me a lot to be more patient with kids, to observe kids and not to feel the need to jump in. And as I call it, word vomit with Mm -hmm. um, kids where you just feel the need to fill the silence, but really feel that you can sit back and watch and see how the play unfolds. You know, Mm -hmm. if they're waking up in the middle of the night because they've got nightmares, see what they're playing with, see what they're doing, see how that comes out. And oftentimes it will come out in the play. Oh gosh, that's so true. And I didn't even think of sitting with children, correct? I think we we do, because I think I've done that too at times and I, I like have to fill the silence or noise. And there's other times I'll just watch because I'm in awe of like what he's doing, but it's like, what are you doing? What are you making there? How is it? All of that notion, you know, just let them play. Yeah, you got to think about like, and there's that, that's where there's like the reparenting aspect. Why are you feeling the need to re- to fill the silence? And then that right. obviously requires some deeper reflection. <laughs> which we all could help, you know, use. And that's why, you know, you're always learning from your kids. For sure. Absolutely. With your page, you have over 50,000 followers and I'm sure growing. I found you, I've been completely inspired by you. How do you hope to impact your community and your followers? And what is your mission overall with all of this? Because you just said you don't take, you know, any commissions from your affiliates. You did the webinar with me. What is your overall goal with all of this? To go back when I was diagnosed, when I was an early teenager with dyslexia and ADHD, I was very fortunate to have parents who were able to provide me with the right professionals to get me and accommodations to get the help that I needed. And so I always wanted to set down and get down on that path to help others. And then I found that this was a very easy avenue to employ that help and to provide a resource that was unbiased, that was authentic, and that could help others. And so I think that was where I went with this. And I didn't realize it would keep growing as much as it would because it was just organic. And so people wanted more resources. So like, oh, I want your recipes. And I'm like, I am not a chef. I just mess around with it. And I've asked friends who are chefs and people who are much better than me to help me, you know, design recipes and stuff. So I put that up there and I have blog posts with a lot of you know, people's common questions up there. You know, I'm now doing like mini parenting consultations as well, where all the proceeds go to charity. And I list out the charities that I actually donate to. So you can find that on my page uh, as well. And the Instagram, I think it's just a place where you can like quickly access some information, whether it's like, you know, looking at a story highlight or seeing like, okay, well, how does she do things in the day? Or what products is she getting, you know, school items or how do you talk to your, like my most recent was like, how do you deal with school drop-off? How do you deal with school pickup? Mm-hmm. You know, what to say and what not to say. So I, I'm trying to just break it down a little bit more. Oh, and we're all so appreciative of that. And may I ask, what, what do you actually do for a living? <laughs> so I stopped working when I had kids and I kind of started doing this on the side and then it kind of took over. And so now I'm doing this more full time. Oh, wow. Um, I started adding in the parenting consultations and I'm actually no longer testing 
kids, but I can refer to a number of my colleagues that are amazing and, and doing that. Okay, that's awesome. And and I guess would make sense of why even with some of the time, because I'm like, gosh, your content and everything is so great. But I can see then if this is something that has become like a full time job of doing the research to make sure you're getting the stuff right out there, I, I would imagine. Okay, so let's get into just a little bit more about who Natasha is. What do you do to recharge and fill your cup? And what do you do to relax and unwind for the day? What does Natasha do for herself? Great question. I wake up before my kids. The only time it's quiet. I happen to love my bathroom and sit in here and it's got a nice window and I can like just meditate, look out. I love getting out in nature. Baths. I love baths and bath salts and all my different like Osea Malibu and Primally Pure and my ancient minerals like magnesium flakes. I love those things. And honestly, like I love answering all the DMs that I get. It's definitely a great feeling when I can help people. That's awesome. I actually tried the Osei Malibu because of you. Oh. And I got the, the scrub, the oh. gentle cleanser and the oil. Oh, and the dry brush. I had never done dry brushing before. I, I love it. I love beauty products and, and trying different things. And of course, I know there's so many things are green. And you know, now again, that's that's another word that everyone is green or clean with beauty. But yeah, I tried it and I, and I loved it. So yes. Okay. So what is your favorite book? Oh, there's so many. I have a stack of 12 books, like right in front of me, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Or one that you would really, if not maybe your favorite, one that you would really like to recommend to maybe a parent. I had read The Whole Brainchild. A couple of people had told me about that book. He was a mentor. I got to attend a lot of his classes in UCLA. But something like that or something that you want to recommend. You Are Your Child's First Teacher, uh, The Birth Through Six Years is a great book. Um, Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne. Also another great book. I I, I always recommend those for parents. Okay. What's your favorite organizational or mom hack? What kind of gets you through the day? (laughs) Getting book dividers and putting the tops to Tupperware in them to separate them out. Cause I feel like my Tupperware is always, uh, was always a disaster. And so I got those book dividers and that helped separate all the lids were. And so I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, these are all the large lids. These are all the medium lids. And what has motherhood taught you? That you're constantly learning and that your kids are going to teach you a lot of things you didn't know. Yeah, do they? Any final thoughts to the podcast world? We made it in an hour. I tried to get as much information as I could. Again, thank you. But any final thoughts that you want to put? My favorite thing that I like to tell parents, it's not your job to make your kids happy. It's your job to help them learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. Oh, so that resonates. I said that, but I, I explain it like more in depth on, on my page for them. So that was so poignant. Dr. Beck, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. Congratulations again on your fourth bundle of joy. When actually, when are you due? End of February. So that's, oh goodness, we're ready in September. That's awesome. Well, congratulations again. And you know, a safe and and healthy uh, baby. You said baby girl? Yes. Baby girl. Oh, baby girl. Yes. I saw your gender reveal. Does it feel weird if people do come up to you and they're like, oh, I know you're Dr. Organic mommy, or they know your life or share that. Does that feel weird? Uh, it doesn't feel weird to me. My husband was a little taken aback when like we're at the doctor's office or we're out to dinner kind of thing, but it doesn't bother me at all. And I, I'm always happy to put the face next to the name. I, you know, given that I have <laughs> dyslexia, I have a really good memory. So like I can, me- I memorize a lot of the people that DM me. And so I can be like, oh, I know your handle. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, thank you, Dr. Beck. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mamas Know Best We Got Something to Say podcast. 
This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for an another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.